0: God, we love you, and that song is true. You are worthy of it all. God, every breath that we have, we surrender to you, trusting you more with it than we do ourselves. God, we love you, and we're grateful for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Anchor. How you doing this morning? Good? Okay. Welcome to week two of our sermon series, Big Butts of the Bible. Uh, Last week, I know, I love that title. It's incredible. There's a butt joke there for sure, right? Uh, Don't worry, I will make it. Um, I'm not afraid. So, (laughs) okay, last week we talked about the blind man who Jesus healed by, by scooping some mud and putting it over his eyes. And we talked about the idea of blindness, about how we can be blind. And in this, in this sermon series, Big Butts of the Bible, I think we're gonna be talking about some people that it's easy to like. It's easy to like this sarcastic blind man who stood up to the Pharisees and said, yeah, Jesus healed me, right? It's easy to like him. But today we're gonna to be talking about somebody who it's a little more difficult to like. But, in that vein, but, you hear it, see? Um, I wanted to show you maybe some butts that you would love because I want to kind of prepare you, ease you into this sermon today. Uh, So I have a video for you, and let me tell you, it was hard. It was hard to come by, okay, Uh, but but (laughs) I think you will appreciate it. See, my first thought was, well, I could get up on stage and just play the song, I Like Big Butts, just like dance it, you know, and I was like, we're Wesleyan, Valerie, like, you can't do that. It's still too, it's too soon, too soon, we don't dance Okay, we do, but we don't, you know what I mean, it's low key. Uh, and then I thought, I thought, that's not really appropriate. So I found this video, which I think you will love, let's watch. Yes. Oh my gosh. corgi butt, right? It's like a cultural thing. I don't know what the deal is, but I love it too, so I can't deny it. Um, see, this uh, that video, by the way, is titled Top 5 Corgi Butts, and I highly suggest you go you go watch it on your own time. There, there's another one in there. It's pretty good. Um, anyway, it's just too long, you know? Uh, but this video is also pretty poignant because uh, corgis are a small dog. They're short dogs. Um, they're wee little dogs, if you will. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh, guys. Thanks for tracking with me. Uh, <laughs> yes, good. Thank you, Robin. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> okay, but but I'm going to be thinking about it the whole time I preach. There's a lot in here, guys, so you got to just deal with it. Um, okay. Okay. So we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus, but I think there's something important that we need to discuss before we dive deep into what happens in Zacchaeus' story. And that's the first... So we have this picture of Zacchaeus, and I think some of us think of him as, you know, kind of like a a corgi, like just a short little man who's really cute. He's like probably just like looking to to hang out with Jesus, you know? Uh, We have that children's church idea of Zacchaeus in our heads. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. See, and you guys could sing it, you still know it, right? And so a lot of what children's church teaches us sets us up to be able to understand bigger and deeper truths about people, about the Lord uh, later in life. But I'm not confident that all of us make that jump, Right? Sometimes these biblical characters stick in the back of our minds, and they continue to be, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? instead of the reality. And so before we talk about Zacchaeus' story, I need to tell you about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. <laughs> Raise your hand if you filed your taxes. Good on you. I have not, okay? I hate tax season. I hate taxes. If there is anything that you know about me, it should be that I hate paperwork. I despise it. To the very core of my being, it's just like, ugh, ugh. I just cannot understand the need for all of this paperwork. And you know what taxes are? Stressful paperwork. It's like not even like fun times paperwork, like fill out this personality assessment. It's like, no, if you don't pay us this money, you will go to jail. And I'm like... (laughs) Okay, that's great. Um, And every April when tax season comes up, you know, I like, I really do seriously consider it would not be that difficult to just ditch my vehicle in the mountains and just live off the land, you know? Like, how about I just disappear? So next year, around April, if I'm telling you I'm taking any trips, you got to know I'm not coming back, okay? I'm going. That's it. I'm out of here. Taxes are stressful, okay? And this is the chain of thoughts that I have. Every year when taxes come around, well, if I, if I don't file my taxes, they're probably going to start sending me letters. And when they send me letters, they're going to say, file your taxes. And they're going to give me another deadline. You've got to file them by this time. And if I don't respond to those letters, then they're going to start taking money from my paycheck, right, which, okay, so if I quit my job, get another one under a different name with a different social security <laughs> number, then probably I'll be okay, right? Or what could happen is they're going to send me some more letters, <laughs> and when my paycheck is consumed by nothing but taxes and I have no more money to give and I cannot possibly pay said taxes, then probably they're going to take me to jail, right? But, but really, the worst thing that could happen to me if I don't pay my taxes is that I end up in prison. Uh, and that's not a happy thought, you know? Uh, and every single year, I come to Jesus with myself, um, and I say, listen, do you want this year to be the year that the Lord starts your prison ministry? And I say, no, no, maybe later, maybe, maybe next year, um, right? But, but that being said, the worst that could happen to me is I end up in prison. That's not great, but it's also not death, right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector in a different time in a time where tax collecting looked very different. Um, And so what would happen is is the Romans would conquer cities and in those cities they would take people and they would appoint them to be the people, hey, you're going to collect taxes for us, right? But the way that the tax collectors lived was off of the surplus that they made over and above what the people owed in taxes. These guys were thieves. They were extortionists. They were hated. And so we get this picture of, of Rome where we get so many good things, right? We get a lot of positive things from the Roman Empire. We get this kind of like some semblance of democracy, which is kind of how we live today, right? It's not the same as their democracy, but, um, but we also in the back of our minds hold this picture of the Colosseum. We have this picture of the cross, right, of how cruel and inhumane the Romans could be. And I I would argue that tax collecting was one of those, not just because it's stressful, but that's for sure part of it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so tax collectors would appoint people from communities that they had conquered, and they would say, you're going to collect taxes from us. And that is bad enough, right, because they're stealing from, from people. They're stealing from the people they're collecting taxes from. But I think it takes it even a step further to think that these are people's neighbors. Right, so Colorado Springs is a really unique city, and you might not know, you might not know it until I say it, but I'm sure that you've seen this. Right, we live in a city where you can walk, and in the span of two city blocks, you will see a giant, beautiful, incredible home, and then in the next block see homes that are absolutely destitute, that look like their last paint of, or coat of paint was put on during the Great Depression. Right, We live in this city where the poor and the rich live side by side. And I think that's really incredible. I think that's crazy. There are not many cities like that. In fact, many cities go to great lengths to avoid ever having rich people interact with those who are poor. Uh, but our city doesn't. And I think this gives us a picture maybe of what these tax collectors looked like in their communities. They were robbing their neighbors who didn't have much to begin with so that they could fill their coin purse. So they were living in these maybe extravagant homes next to people who couldn't even afford a roof over their head. Right? These people were cruel. They were not good. Bad dudes, that's what I would say. And when we think of Zacchaeus as this, as this wee little man who... You know, he did nothing but climb up a tree. We're getting this wrong image of who Zacchaeus is. Because even further than being a tax collector, Scripture tells us that Zacchaeus was chief tax collector. That's like being the district manager of his area of collecting taxes. So he went from stealing money from his neighbors to stealing money from the people who were stealing money from his neighbors. Right, that meant that he was so good at roughing people up, at getting a, a penny from these, from these people for the Romans that the Romans decided to promote him. Right, so that meant that he was the guy who sent the guys. Yikes. And this isn't like a, I can call customer service and I'll talk to Zacchaeus and he'll work it out. This is like, if it gets to Zacchaeus, you're, you're done. That's it. There's no higher level that you get to. Zacchaeus will probably be the last little wee man you see. Thank you. wasn't that funny. (laughs) (laughs) And when we talk about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, he is definitely short in stature, but I think it also implies something about his character. He was lacking in character. He had a wee little character, right? Don't you think that being hated by your community, not having any friends probably, being hated by the people who even worked for you, who you employed, don't you think that living like that would get old? I think so. And I think that's what we see happen in this story. See, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us this, verses 10 and 11 say, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And I think in the story that we are about to read, we see this scripture being true. That Zacchaeus, whether or not he knew it, was getting tired, the life that he was living. He was becoming overwhelmed by the idea that he was the bad guy. Our story begins in Luke chapter 19. And we're going to start with verses 1 through 4, but I want to say first that what sets Zacchaeus apart from your traditional bad guy is that Zacchaeus sees a divine opportunity and he takes it. So the first thing that is different about Zacchaeus that makes him a part of our Big Butts series is that he seizes a divine opportunity. Verses 1 through 4 say this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And this is a very weird, kind of jarring picture of Zacchaeus after we've just been told that he's a bad mamma jamma, right? This is like, Zacchaeus is the kind of guy who hires people to run for him, there's no reason that he should be running in public, right? And I would think that we could all agree there might be some natural curiosity about Jesus, right? Some like, well, some mild interest at best from Zacchaeus, right? You know, I've heard about him, and, and before this story in Scripture, we hear the story of Bartimaeus who was healed by Jesus. That's, Bartimaeus is a part of the same community. Bartimaeus is part of Zacchaeus' community. So I would, I would imagine that there's some mild interest from Zacchaeus. But what, what I would never tell you is that I would assume that Zacchaeus would run and climb a tree. This is a man who, though short, prides himself on being the force when he enters the room, right? This is a man who is dead set on getting your money anyway. He has to, and he is running in public to see Jesus. I think of this story in my life, uh, there are very few times that I will run, okay? I'll just be honest with you, don't like it. It's not fun. And also, it's embarrassing, like, you know, you're like, <laughs> hold on, yeah, I'll answer your question, hold on, <laughs> right, and for me, that takes a long time for me to catch my breath. I think you guys saw that last week even, right, I, I don't run, I don't make that a habit, um, but I will tell you something, there was a time in my life that I had to, I had to run, um, I lived, I grew up in the country in Minnesota. I spent my first five years of my life in a place called Clover Valley, Minnesota. And it is like, I can't even, I don't know. It's like Hague Central. I love them so much, but like that's, we played with 10 kids. There's not, I'm not even exaggerating. That's just like fill it with dirt and then you turn it over. Then you fill it with dirt, then you turn it over. Right? Okay. And so, <laughs> so my grandpa built this house and he built it in a field. And, and one field away, that's how we measure things in the country, one field away lived my great-grandma and she lived in a trailer in this separate field, right, and I loved my great-grandma. She had no teeth. Uh, But we would always chew gum together. That was just like we just did. mm, Me and Grandma. Um, And any time that I was having a rough day, I could go to my great-grandma's house, and she'd make me breakfast food. And I think that's where my love for breakfast food comes from. Uh, She'd make me scrambled eggs and, like, sausage or bacon or whatever, and we'd just gum it together. Um, And it was incredible, right? I loved to go visit her. Uh, But she had these chickens. Yeah. And they were awful chickens, I, I hated those chickens. I still am not a fan of chickens, right? And so one day, I went, instead of asking my mom to walk me over there, I was just like, I'm going to go myself. And being, you know, the strong country girl I was, I, I brought a canoe paddle with me, um, and my thought with that was, you know, like, if they start getting close, I could just gently, like, try to, to like roll through the chickens, you know, roll through the chickens. Like, oof, you go that way, I'll go this way. We're all going to be friends. It's going to be good, okay? Um, And so I made it to my grandma's front door and I knocked and no answer. That I was very unlike my grandma, so I, st- I knocked louder. And the chickens, they're getting closer to the porch. And I was like, Grandma, let me in, the chickens, please. Um, and then I, I like stopped and I looked out into the, the rest of the field and there was no car there. Uh, my grandma was not home and I said, oh, no. And then I saw the rooster. I hated that rooster. He just always thought he was the biggest guy in town. And he just coming up the, the porch stairs just like, I'm coming for you. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. And so I took that paddle and I whacked him over the head. And I ran, right? I ran for my life. I could I could not see anything in front of me. I was already crying and I just ran, right? And then I started feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm scared. But and I look behind me and the rooster's chasing me. Right. And he's he's running just as fast on two legs as I am. And he jumps up and he bites me right on the butt. Another good butt story. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I am screaming and in front of me I see my mom come around the front of the house to the back and I, she just buckles over laughing and I'm sobbing and I'm like mom the rooster bit me <laughs> right this is the picture that I get of Zacchaeus running of this urgency because I don't know about you but I don't run unless it's urgent I don't run unless there's a five-pound rooster behind me looking for a keister, right? This is the image that we get, that something in Zacchaeus is a little different on this day. There's an urgency. He's running, and he climbs a tree. And you know who climbs trees? Children. Children. Right? I think there's a certain level that we get to in our growth, our development as people, we stop climbing trees. So, this man who prides himself on collecting money from his neighbors, on stealing from those that he works with, he is running and it's undignified. But I think that speaks to something that is true. That urgency often looks undignified. Can I ask you something? Who in your life do you see running to something else? Running because what's behind them is scarier than what may be before. Who in your life do you see climbing trees looking for hope? looking for something different than what they've been doing. There has to be someone. Maybe they look a little undignified. The second thing that sets Zacchaeus apart is that he experiences a divine call. I would say he responds to a divine call. Verse 5 in Luke chapter 19 says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And this is what we call a uniquely common call. Right? We see this all throughout scripture, where Jesus walks into these very mundane seeming moments, like a man in a tree, and he says, Hey, come with me. And it changes their lives. Right? We see this all over. And jesus is constantly telling people hey i gotta eat at your house hey can i have this conversation with you hey come follow me drop everything this is a uniquely common call but jesus does something here to make it very personal see i would imagine that jesus is used to seeing the crowds he's used to pushing through them trying to find a place to stand so that he can teach trying to find a place to stand so he can pray trying to maybe even just push through to get to the next place that he's going. He's very used to this, I would imagine. Right, but in this moment, Jesus sees Zacchaeus, who is desperate, and he calls to him. And, you know, you have to think, maybe Jesus has heard about Zacchaeus from the people in the town, from this really short, really angry man. You know, they've heard, he's heard stories about him. But it doesn't really matter how Jesus knows Zacchaeus, he knows him when he sees him. And yet Jesus does something incredible, he calls him by name. This is a person who people, they cast their eyes away. They won't look at Zacchaeus because he's detestable to them. Or maybe because they're afraid. And Jesus looks him in the eyes in the tree. He sees where he's at and he calls him by name. And there's something really beautiful about this picture. Zacchaeus is a Hebrew name. Do you, know what it, do you know what it means? It means pure. Jesus looks at this awful, dirty, wicked man, and he still calls him pure. He calls him by name. Does that remind you of your story? It reminds me of mine. And see, Jesus is communicating to this crowd who knows who Zacchaeus is, that the gospel is for everyone. There is not one person too unclean. There is not one person who Jesus will not look in the eyes. There is not one person whose name Jesus won't call. The gospel is for everyone. But even as Zacchaeus, or as Jesus communicates this to a huge crowd, it's personal. This is a personal thing. This is Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus and saying to him, you are not too unclean. You are not too far gone. And this is a picture of what we Wesleyans call provenient grace. And provenient grace sounds a little bit weird. We don't really like it, right? But all that prevenient grace is, is it's grace that goes before. And what Zacchaeus is experiencing in this moment is God saying to him, long before you ever sought my face, I was seeking you. That's prevenient grace. Zacchaeus is experiencing a moment that God has preordained. He responded to a divine call. So there's a pastor in Canada, and, um, and this story is very dear to his heart, and he was asked what he believes the role of the church is in redemption. What is our part in redemption, in seeing lost people found? And he says this, I want our church to be the tree that lost people can sit in, in order to help them see Jesus more clearly. I want our church to be the tree that lost people can sit in, in order to help them see Jesus more clearly. And there's a, there's a last thing that sets, that sets Zacchaeus apart. And this is probably the biggest part of the story. Verse 6 says this, Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. See, in this this moment, Zacchaeus experiences a divine conversion. Something changes in his life. So he seizes a divine opportunity, he responds to a divine call, and he experiences a divine conversion. Something has changed. This man of pride, of stature, of status, He jumps down from this tree and he is glad to see Jesus. We see people respond to Jesus all over in scripture and it never quite looks like this, right? We see people caught in sin who are afraid to look at Jesus, who are afraid that he uses their name. But in this man, we see a man who's excited, who is full of joy to be called down from a tree, Who is full of joy and excited even though he's in an embarrassing undignified position i wonder if he knew by climbing that tree that his life was going to change verse 7 says this all the people saw this and began to mutter he has gone to be the guest of a sinner But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus leans into grace by responding to Jesus, not to the crowd. The crowd wasn't happy, they were angry. Jesus is going to eat with a sinner our Savior, our Messiah, this holy chosen clean one is going to eat with somebody who has stolen from us, who is detestable, who is a traitor to his people. And he called him by name. Ask yourself, where do I grumble when God pours out grace? Where do I get mad when I see the Lord give grace rather than fire? There's an author named Brennan Manning, and he's the author of what's called the Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, And he tells a story in his book of a man who sins. And he's kicked out of the church because his sin is that bad. The church says, you can't come back. But he repents of his sin, he turns things around, and then he wants to go back, but they still say no. And he cries out to God and he says, they won't let me in, Lord, because I'm a sinner. And God responds to him, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in either. See, we tend to fall on either opposite side of a spectrum here. Either grace or truth. There are those of us who are good at grace. We get it, and that's all we want to do. We don't want to address the truth of it. You're living in sin? That's totally fine. Jesus doesn't care. He's not upset. Just come to church. It's okay. It's fine. He's not going to try to take that away from you. It's okay that you're living in sin. Right? And then there are others of us who truth is all that we see. We don't want the grace that comes with it. We want. This is what the truth is, and if you can't fix it, then God won't give you grace. But we have to come to the middle. We have to. Grace and truth are not enemies, even though sometimes we make them. But grace doesn't trump truth, and truth cannot be allowed to exclude grace. Is it hard for you to see Jesus extend grace? to somebody who hurt you, to somebody who abused you, who betrayed you, maybe somebody who lied about you, somebody who hurt someone you love. Is it hard for you to see Jesus extend grace? It's hard for me sometimes. But the problem is we tend not to grumble when we receive grace when other people do. Luke 19:8: "But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount." See, it doesn't matter who says anything about another person coming to Jesus, what matters is how they respond. What matters is how we respond. Zacchaeus is used to being hated. Zacchaeus is used to hearing people grumble when he walks into a place. He's used to people being frustrated by his presence. And so he just ignores it. But right? he just says, "Listen, Jesus. I will give everything back. I repent. I'm so sorry. If I've cheated anybody, I will make it right." Zacchaeus repents in response to this moment of conversion. He repents. And I'll tell you something about the law of that time. Voluntary restitution, so, so paying back something on your own terms that you have stolen from somebody, meant that you would pay back 100% plus five, or 15% of its value, a fifth of its value. Okay, so 100% and then a fifth of its value, and Zacchaeus offers to pay back four times the amount. This is a man whose heart is broken by what he has done. This is a man who is willing to go from rich to poor to make it right. And this tells us something about repentance, that true repentance always includes some kind of restitution, because encounters with Jesus... Leave us longing to make it right. But nobody had ever given him the opportunity. This is a man who knows what he's done is wrong. But the people grumbled. Verses nineteen or nine and ten of Luke nineteen show us Jesus' response. And he says this, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has already declared by interacting with Zacchaeus that the gospel is for everyone. And here he blankly says it. He plainly says it to the crowd. This is why I have come. And the people grumbled. They were mad. Zacchaeus' whole story can be summed up in one verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Jesus calls you by name, and if you respond, you're transformed. And and it's incredible because the story doesn't end here. Clement, who's the Bishop of Alexandria, he writes in his writings, which we consider to be historical church documents, that Zacchaeus went on to become the Bishop of Caesarea, that he was possibly appointed by Peter himself, that Zacchaeus went from being thief to pastor because of an encounter with Jesus. And I want us to end on a quiet note. Because it's easy for us to not like Zacchaeus. It's easy for us to be frustrated when the Lord pours out grace on those who we think deserve only truth. So I want you to find yourselves in a position of prayer. Um, Whether that means sitting in your seat with your head bowed, your eyes closed, or coming to the altar, or standing in the back, I don't care, but um, just find yourself there. And I want you to quiet your heart before the Lord, um, close your eyes. Who is your Zacchaeus? Who is it in your life that you would grumble if the Lord showed grace to? Who is it that so desperately needs Jesus? that they're beginning to look undignified. I want you to to name that person, or those people, or maybe even that group of people. I need you to understand that you can be the difference in a person's life-changing trajectory, in giving somebody the opportunity to repent, the opportunity to make it right, How is Jesus leading you to call them down from the tree? Is it through forgiveness? Through saying, I will set aside my anger and my frustration and my hurt and I will forgive you and I will call to you in that tree, come down? Is it through going where you don't want to go? Having dinner with people who are vastly different from you? who have the opportunity to impact your reputation? Is it by looking that person in the eyes and calling them by name? Maybe the first time that they will have heard that in a long time. See, there's no question that scripture calls us to go out and make disciples. And there's no question that Jesus modeled that the gospel is for everyone. So where is our hesitation? Or maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and you feel like Zacchaeus. There is an urgency that brought you here this morning. You said, I am running in public and I will climb that tree because I want just a glimpse of Jesus. And if that's you, I need you to hear me. Jesus sees you. And he is calling you by name out of that tree and into his family. Maybe it's your first time here or your first time in a long time. Jesus wants you to be a part of his family. And so if you accept that call, if you step out of that tree and you lay your sin before him, he gladly welcomes you. He calls you by name and he looks you in the eyes. Jesus is not ashamed of who you are. Lord, I pray for new eyes. I pray over our church, over the people who are seated here, that you would allow us to see who in our lives Are climbing trees to get to you i pray that you would give us courage to go where you have called us and the strength to forgive how you would forgive and the patience to reach out to those who may be very unlike us god my prayer is that we can be the tree that people sit in to see you better my prayer is that we can be the people who introduce the loss to you god help us not get in our own We love you.